Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. So straight up, you're about to meet one of my favorite people to follow online. And I actually started following Dan Martell before we became friends. And I followed him for like a year. I really loved his content because there's certain people, and I follow less than 100 people total online. And the people that I follow are people who I have deciphered are people who are achieving real results in real life, not just they have lots of followers or they have a big personal brand, but I'm actually following people who are real life business owners. And I was able to you know, sort that out quickly with Dan. So he is an angel investor. He's an influencer, YouTuber, thought leader. He's also the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of this book. It's called Buy Back Your Time. And we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before that, he founded, scaled, and exited successfully three different technology companies within a 10-year period. So in 2012, he was named as Canada's top angel investor. He invested in companies like Intercom, Udemy, Unbounce, all very, very successful companies. And now he runs a SaaS Academy and is basically, he has one of the largest coaching companies in the world. He specializes in talking specifically to SaaS founders, which I am not, but we are a recurring revenue business because of coaching. And we also you know, have a membership component of that, which is like the online version of ours. And so a lot of the principles that apply to SaaS companies apply very much to any recurring type of revenue model. And so I really, really love Dan. I believe in his stuff. And then I saw his book came out, hit the Wall Street Journal, and then he was doing an event in Nashville. And I was like, man, I want to come over and meet you. And we met up. And so anyways, here he is, the man, Dan Martell. Welcome to the show, buddy. Rory, it's an honor, man. I've been a huge fan of your work. And you know, just congrats, man. Like Watching all my friends that you work with, the support you, you give them and the, the results they've gotten, it just is a testament to the mastery that I know you focus on when you deliver for people. And it means a lot. I think there's a lot of folks out there, you know, selling stuff and not delivering, but you know, I could tell within our first conversation that that that's not you. You're somebody that over delivers and it's awesome. Well, thanks brother. And we really do. My wife, AJ says this all the time. She says, utilization equals retention, utilization equals retention. And she just is always about over delivering and getting people using it. And even though, again, we don't do SaaS, I know that like so much of what you teach is just around that same thing of providing a quality product, making sure people have a great experience, using it, training the team to sell, marketing like all in. So I want to talk about buy back your time, okay, the book, but I want to talk about it specifically to personal brands, which you're uniquely equipped to talk about. And one of the things that you were sharing with me before we started was how you've been applying this principle to your new life as a YouTuber and a influencer. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you've gone from being an entrepreneur to being an investor. 
to now also, you said something to me, you said right now you're really investing in media. So I'd love to hear about what that means and also why at this stage in your career do you suddenly care about investing more into media? Yeah, it's an awesome question. I mean, my quick arc was, you know, I grew up in a really tough environment, got in trouble with a lot of young age, diagnosed with ADHD, you know, ended up in prison twice by the time I was 17. And in rehab, I actually taught myself to code. And that literally became my new addiction at that point. It kind of filled the hole that a lot of, you know, the addiction I was, I was suffering with, you know, left. And then I got into entrepreneurship, which is this like beautiful forcing function for betterment, right? Like if you think of like getting big, like growing a business, if you want to be more successful in business, you got to go look in the mirror. So my message for a long time was about, you know, like growth and mindset and all these things. And the problem was I struggled with disconnecting from the obsession of building, right? I had two failed companies right out of the gate, 17 again at 19. And it wasn't until I was 24 that I hired a business coach that essentially showed me how to operate, scale, begin with the end of mind. A lot of the principles that are fundamental that I just was lacking, right? I just thought we build a product, people buy it, you have a business. And it was through that experience in my third company that made me a multimillionaire that I essentially like cratered my life because I was engaged with a woman that it turns out to have a successful relationship, you actually got to be present. And I just wasn't, I, I didn't know any better. I was so scared of failing because of the momentum I'd built that I just kept working hundred hour weeks and I wasn't present. And eventually I came home one day and I found her in tears in the kitchen and she just took the ring off and walked away. And it was about seven weeks before the marriage. So that was my wake up call to all of this. And that's really where the buyback principle, which I teach in my book, which is you don't hire people to grow your business. You hire people to buy back your time. Because if you do the second, you get the first, but you don't necessarily get the, you know, most entrepreneurs build businesses, they grow to hate. So I started coaching companies I invested in 15 years ago, this core principle, right? Like I had to learn it for myself. I exited that company, Spheric, and then I went to Silicon Valley and built two venture-backed companies and really understood scale and leverage. And I started tweeting and blogging. And that's kind of the beginning of like the, if you want to call it influencer phase, but I did it as very much from a marketing point of view. You know, it's like, oh, if you have an audience, you can hire easier, you can get customers, you know, inbound marketing started to pick up back then. What shifted for me recently was honestly, when the book came out a few months ago and it became a Wall Street Journal bestseller, I underestimated the value of a book by 10x. Okay. Like, and Rory, you know this better than most. It is one of the easiest way to build credibility. So like I had all this business success, but I don't know. There's just something about a physical book that all of a sudden now people see me in a different light. And then what happened as I was doing all this media stuff, like Instagram, social media, I have about a million followers across all my platforms, but I was doing just enough. Like I wasn't like thoughtful about it. I wasn't, I would say investing in it. And there was just like perfect tsunami of some friends of mine that I watched essentially like grow their audiences and see them get access to opportunities to impact people on a level I couldn't even imagine. I was like, how did that happen? How did you get on national TV? How did you, you know, get a New York Times bestseller? How did you get these, you know, 50K speaking opportunities, et cetera, or even access to deals, right? And it just occurred to me that the, if my goal is truly 
to have an impact to serve at-risk youth, which is near and dear to my heart, then it's irresponsible of me to not lean into it. Like it kind of doesn't make sense. If you tell me your goal is to help people and you intelligently look at how can you help people? Well, the trade of putting out content and serving literally millions of people and it costs you nothing, huge leverage. I'm all about, you know, buy back my time. And then from that opportunities, tip of the spear for me to buy companies, which I do with one of my private equity companies I'm involved in, or like coach in SaaS Academy or, you know, travel the world and speak or, and it's funny because you mentioned reoccurring revenue and coaches. That's actually a big part of the people that have reached out recently because they've seen me scale, not only SaaS Academy, but like helped other friends of mine in coaching industries just understand the dynamics that are present and just natural in software as a service, SaaS, right? So that was what shifted is just this realization, if I want to help people investing, you know, dollars and cents into building a media team, and that's the identity shift for me. It went from being a marketing function to a media team. So I look at myself as a media person, not as a talent in a marketing function. So hash that out for me. And also this applies to how does the buyback principle apply to creating lots of pieces of content, which is something that, you know, I'm watching you do and watching you up-level sort of the quality of what you're putting out. And so I'm really curious to hear what is representative of that mindset shift from marketing, you know, function to media company. And then also in addition to the mindset shift, what's the tactical expression of that in terms of how many people are you hiring? And like, what does that mean? Are you building out a whole studio and you've got like tons of producers and like script writers or like, what does it mean exactly? Yeah. I mean, the other thing where I want to be careful is I don't want to scare people away. Right. So I'll give you the like, like low budget version and then I can share what I'm doing. Yeah. But perfect. I'm also not ignorant to the fact that, you know, I have dollars and cents to invest. And some people may be trying to but make even it though you do have some budget. money, you've still stepped into this. You even though you've had money, you've stepped into this totally. Yeah. yeah. I think it's it's literally one of the best trades any person can do with their lives. And I think, you know, you've seen people like Gary V and many others been screaming at the mountaintop about this. And I've known Gary for 14 years, and it took me this long to finally get. And again, the book was the catalyst. The book came out and I was like, whoa, how is this thing helping tens of thousands of people? And I'm not like, talk about leverage. So here's the first thing is the whole idea of just capturing what you do, right? There's this great book called Show Your Work by Austin Kleon. It's for artists, but I really, I read this book and I leaned into it. So for example, I have two cameras on me right now, like on my desk there, I don't even know what kind they are, but Canon something, whatever. And all my meetings from coaching calls to all hands to investor reviews to this podcast, I just click a button on my laptop and it records everything. And then it saves it to a Dropbox that synchronizes, right? And it puts it up into the cloud. Now, then I have a team that goes through all that footage and they decide like, oh, that was actually interesting. That was not, right? So to me, the whole idea of just like start capturing stuff, right, is just... Such a basic idea. A lot of people I know are doing audio podcasts, but they're not recording video. And it's fascinating to me. I'm like, well, you're already talking to the person. Just like do it on a platform, do it on Zoom, and then just grab that video content and put that out. You know, so that was like the easiest thing to do. And then what I started doing to level up the capturing side is now I just hire 
freelance videographers in different cities. I predominantly go to like LA or Vegas or, you know, in my own city when I'm doing speaking engagements or, or coaching sessions and they'll just come in and video record just me. So just now asking for permission. So like when I have clients fly in for a VIP day, the rule is, is like the videographer will be there. He's recording me but not you and none of your stuff will be in the video. Well, all of a sudden I've taken a six hour day and produced 50 pieces of content that I didn't have to like go into a studio and shoot, right? Now, some people are gonna have a hard time with that because I don't think they actually know what they're talking about. So their content ain't that interesting. I mean, Rory, that's the truth, man. They don't know how to tell a story. They don't know how to make a point. So some people will be like, I feel like I am not, as good, but the truth is, is a good editor, a good, what's called a time stamper or a clipper, they will find the nuggets. Right. And over time, what's cool is like, I only see my social media content that gets put out there. Once it goes out, I literally have a creative director that takes care of deciding what he thinks is, is appropriate or not inappropriate and puts it out. So I get to consume at the same time as my audience, but it acts as a feedback loop because I can see what they think is interesting. I can then see what works on social media and then I can go, oh, that message seems to resonate. So I can think about that when I'm sharing or talking or doing other stuff. And you can, can be surprised by your own profile. brilliance occasionally. You're like, wow, I can't believe I said Happen. that. That was really freaking the good. Editing skills. <laughs> the literally they'll take 20 minutes of me rambling and just like punch it into a 35 second reel. And I'm like, wow, they made me sound so smart, but that that's was good. Yeah. I think the key is just start capturing and have essentially a videographer and an editor, ideally the same person, like on staff part-time. I think it's, you know, as much as you have a bookkeeper and you have an assistant, you should probably start thinking about getting a full-time or a part-time videographer slash editor. Yeah. So talk me through the specific like team members. So is it really just, do you think it starts with one person who's like a videographer and an editor on staff? Yeah, I think there could be two components to this. There's the creating the the reels, the video assets, and then there's publishing. So there's the copywriting and publishing side. So, you know, at the easiest level, following my own, you know, advice and the buyback principle, I would say your assistant can probably write first drafts of a lot of the marketing collateral, right? Like, especially if you have a body of work they can go look at and say, oh, this is how you wrote your newsletter, or this is how you write a caption. I mean, truth is with chat GPT you get a transcript of your video and you ask AI to do it, it'll get it 90% good, right? Like better than you could write it. You can even say in the tone of somebody you admire, like The Rock or Joe Rogan, you can literally ask it to write in a certain tonality that's appropriate for you. And then you can just come in for a couple hours once a week and just edit that stuff, right? But again, my process is do something till it becomes you know timely. So if you're trying to produce at scale like I am, then you start hiring people that are just a copywriter and somebody that manages your social media posting schedule. Because I mean, we're taking all that raw video and we're producing LinkedIn posts, we're producing email copy, we're producing Facebook posts, where literally all social media platforms are driven from that raw capturing of video for written format and email. So, okay. And I've heard you mention a couple different terms here. What I hear you saying is version 1.0, it might be a part-time videographer slash editor and your assistant, and maybe your assistant is taking the transcription of the video and using ChatGPT to help write the captions. Totally. Yeah. And then scheduling it on social media for publishing the publishing And like they have to go in and schedule it or log in and post it or whatever. So then what about 
but then you you have copywriter, you have like a social media scheduler person, video editor, and then creative director. So at this point, then is that at four? my scale? Yeah, at my scale, because again, the amount of content I'm putting out, I think three reels a day, you know, I'm spending probably 15K a month, right? So like a major investment. And I've got my creative director. We've got one or two video editors. We have one person that just does timestamping. They literally go through, because I'll produce, you know, today I probably have about five hours of capture from all my different calls, podcast interviews. I just did a keynote. So somebody's got to go through that and just timestamp the clips of what's interesting to queue it up up for the editors. And then you have a copywriter, I'm assuming on retainer. Again, my creative director today, because I'm all about, and if you know, people read my book, I'm all about delegating outcomes, not tasks. I've delegated the whole thing to my creative director. They manage their team and budget. And then they're the conversation I have in regards to feedback on, hey, this worked really well. I remember my, my creative director the other day, his name's Sam. He goes, hey man, he sent me a text message with two videos. He's like, there's this video and this video. And it's like, this one, was good, but not great. This one went viral. He goes, you need to calm down. And I go, okay. Well, first he asked if I was open to feedback, which the answer is always yes, but I love his approach. But he goes, you got to calm down, man. He goes, I think in this video, you were like trying to project. But if you look at these other ones that did really well, it's just you having a conversation with a friend. And when I saw that, I all of a sudden now, like right now, I'm sitting down at my desk. Because there's a different tonality. If I'm standing up, Rory, I don't know if you have a stand-up desk, but there's a different energy, right? So he now is giving me feedback into topic content, like things that are like, hey, talk more this way, tell more stories, use more feeling words. Like it's just this beautiful feedback loop. And I think if anybody wants to just become better at communication in general, it's kind of a life hack because it creates an audience that you can serve costs you nothing, especially if you just capture the work you're doing already. And it is a forcing function and a feedback loop for you to become better at a skill that will transcend anything you could do. I mean, becoming a world-class communicator in the moment where you're able to pull vocabulary and tell stories and just be on point, like that's the thing that is the X factor, right? When you look at your clients, you're like, man, they're really great at what they do. It's because they practice, they had reps. And that's what I, that's the way I look at it is like, it's just this beautiful kind of feedback structure that just keeps feeding every other project I'm working on in my life. It makes everything else I do easier. I mean, now we're adding thousands of people per week on my Instagram account. Now I'm getting people I've wanted to connect with start following me because they seen something I put out there. I mean, that just talk about speed. It's just, it's fascinating that it took me this long to figure it out. So coming around, so you have a creative director, a video editor, a time stamper, a copywriter and a copywriter yeah, and a copywriter. So four, so really four at, at your current level of scale, you got four and those are all full-time people. Copywriters, part-time Time stamper is per hour, editor is per project. So yeah, they're not full-time. I mean, you can, again, there's different levels of quality you can do. Some people, you can get people to produce videos for you for like 25 bucks a video, right? Or 15. I mean, I've seen people, I mean, my DM, and I'm sure yours are too. They're just full of people offering to do edits. So you don't have to spend that much, but you'll also, you know, the results are in what you invest. So if you want to 
you know, have a conversation with, and that's why my creative director is the ultimate hire because I need somebody that's really trying to understand the platforms and what's popping now and give me that feedback so that we can kind of iterate. Cause it's not just about kind of a set it and forget it. It's a very creative process. And that person's full-time, the creative director. hundred percent. Yeah. Gotcha. And then what about graphic design? Yeah. It's part of the editor stuff. I don't even know. The video editor does the graphic. Yeah, I think part. we have, we have a really strong design template structure that my designer. So I have a part-time designer, Rich, who does all my design work, but he's given like kind of like an asset library to the video team so that they can pull from, so they don't have to ping them every time. Hi, it's AJ Vaden. And thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. Yeah, I love that. That's super helpful just to see. But yeah, that's a big, in- I mean, 15000 a month is a big investment, even with chat GPT and everything else that you can use, like, and, yep. and doing a- a video editing. So, you know, you're in a couple hundred thousand bucks a year. And so you got to have a way to monetize that. And in your case, you do that with coaching. So I'd love to hear how have you applied the buyback principle to scale the coaching business? Because obviously that's the thing that's got to pay for this because you're not making $200,000 a year on brand deals and stuff like that. You're not messing around with that as much as you're- Not yet. I mean, this is funny, right? It's like, what? yeah, the amount of opportunities now, like you know, speaking fees. I think if you can sell tickets to an event, I mean, you're in the 25K plus level, right? 50K speaking, it only takes a few opportunities to kind of justify those expenses. The brand deals I don't do yet. Although, you know, my videographer or my creative director keeps talking about it because like there are certain products that I do love and I just happen to share often because it's in my world. So like anything you can do to subsidize the media production, I think is an interesting thing to consider. Again, financially, it's a different game for me. But you know what's interesting is I actually don't monetize my personal brand directly for SaaS Academy. SaaS Academy is kind of like how... I mean, I think there's two parts of the question. How have I applied the buyback principle to the coaching business? There's a few ways. I will tell you this, Rory, because you know I've, I've had a lot of friends that coach, right? Because it's easy to do. It's like real estate agent or social media expert, like... There's not the barrier of entry is pretty low, except most people get stuck in one on one coaching, right? And they don't have an audience. A lot of their customers are through referral. So there's always this feast or famine because a customer comes in, they help them get a bunch of results, and then they feel like they run out of runway and they go somewhere else. So, what I've gotten really good at because of my software background is understanding how to design programming for my coaching clients and essentially productizing the coaching in a way that would allow me to buy back my time. So for example, I actually did a video the other day about this. Like I now have a instructional designer that creates all of my growth playbooks. You know, you came to my event at that event, two day event, I'm only on stage for an hour and I'm teaching. Right. And even that 
training at my scale, because you know we have over a thousand clients, it's a very big organization. I'm not creating that training. Now, I know people listen to that, that coach are like, so what, somebody else can coach my clients? My answer is yes, at scale. Like I just think I want to bust the belief that coaches think that your job is to be the emotional container for your clients. Your job is to create a framework that your client can see themselves in. And then from within that framework, understand where they're starting and give them the sequences of success for them to execute, get feedback on and move forward. Right. And I'm just, I've always been somebody that like, you know, I read this great book called The Goal, Aliyah Goldratt, I believe is his name, if I'm pronouncing it right. But it talks about manufacturing and systems design. And that's just, that's how my brain thinks. So it's like, I always go left to right, raw material, finished product, even if it's in coaching. Okay. What part can I then get support on? So like in the early days of coaching, it might be having somebody else, you know, onboard the client right? And set the expectations and schedule them up and send the invoices and schedule the next call. So like just having an executive assistant or an account manager help you out, right? Buy back your time from doing 10, 15, 20 hours a week on that kind of stuff. And then over time, you might say, well, I'm going to hire somebody to help me on the marketing stuff, what we just talked about. And eventually you might have somebody like, here's a great example. My buddy one day, he called me up because he was just like, really stressed out the amount of work he was doing for all his different coaching clients. He had just did this big launch and had like a hundred new clients. And in that offer, he talked about like helping them set up and, you know, work on their Facebook ads, right? It's just like this amazing offer. Him, him as a coach, he's a business coach, but part of that was the Facebook ads. And he was just like overwhelmed. And I asked him a simple question. I said, do you know anybody else that's a consultant, a freelancer that's better than you on Facebook ads? And he goes, yeah. I said, how much would you have to pay that person for their time? He goes, I don't know, like a hundred bucks an hour. I go, cool. You have a hundred clients that paid you tens of thousands of dollars to coach with you. You can just pay somebody else to do that part of it. And you can still be involved, right? What I call the 10-80-10 rule. The first 10% on the ideation, the creativity side of like the position, the other 80% of setting up the ads and the landing pages and the lead capture and all that stuff, give that to the your buddy and then come in at the last 10% to do the review. And that's the 10-80-10 rule. And I mean, this has been around forever. This is how Andy Warhol built the factory of how he painted so many paintings back in the day. He was notorious for it. It's how... You know, Tom Clancy, even though he's passed on, still writes books like people. There's ways to capture the magic and then create systems around having other people support you on different parts of it. And that's for me, even in coaching, I think is a missing art that would allow a lot more coaches to scale and support more people if they got themselves and their beliefs out of the way. Can you just give hit us with the buyback principle directly? Because we kind of skipped over it and jumped right into it. Just just like what's the main premise of what does it mean to buy back your time? And because you you're touching on it in different ways, but I'd love to just kind of get it straight up. Yeah. The buyback principle states we don't hire people to grow our business. We hire people to buy back our, our time. So that's fundamental to everything I do. Okay. What does that mean? It means it's a calendar, not a capacity problem. Most people hire folks to do work in their business, video editors, copywriters, et cetera. 
but they don't start with the first principle, which is look at your time, look at your energy and buy back things that suck your energy that are low value to pay somebody else to do. So that's why that's the buyback principle. But the process is this thing called the buyback loop, which is essentially anytime you feel like your calendar is at capacity, right? And that might be anybody listen to this. Then you do three steps. You go audit, transfer, fill. Okay. Audit is doing a time and energy audit on our calendar. Over the last two weeks, you look at it and there's a whole process for doing this. But I want to look at what things light you up because some things could have lit you up and now take your energy and things that light you up are not there, right? So like, look at your calendar for like red or green. Is it red? It takes your energy. Green, it lights you up. And then put a dollar sign to those tasks. Is it $1 sign? Meaning that you know you could pay somebody very little, like $15 an hour to do for you. Or is it $4 signs, which is like hiring somebody to do your job, like a CEO type pay. And there's a gradient in between, right? Whatever that is. If you just then take everything that's in the red, that's a low dollar amount to pay somebody else to do. Typically, if this is the first time you're doing, it's an executive assistant. And you bring all that off your plate. That's the audit side. Then you transfer all those tasks to them. And I teach that in the book. I mean, we can dive in as nerdy as you want to. I love this stuff. And then, then we fill it with things that light us up, that make us money. Like, I really believe that if people just gave themselves permission, right? Some people feel so guilty asking somebody else to help them, right? Or they have anxiety around having somebody else do things on their behalf, delegating, right? In their soul, it's just like, they're so scared somebody's gonna embarrass them through their work or whatever it is. And, and these people get stuck, usually around three, 400,000 a year. They're, they're really great at what they do, but they never grow a business. And then the next level is about 2 million a year where they hit this ceiling of complexity that they can't break out of, usually about 13, 15 employees because you got to fundamentally change, right? So once you audit your time and calendar and you do this as frequently as you get at capacity, transfer that to other people, then you fill it with things that are going to either, one of three things, they either build your skills, like up-level your skills. So some people are like, well, I don't know how to do that thing. I don't know how to build a media team. Cool, that's a skill. Google it, search the books, read the books, go to the seminars, find the experts, learn. Then it's beliefs. What are my beliefs around the world and my scarcity mindset and my money beliefs and my people beliefs that are stopping me from expanding, right? Because at the end of the day, the world doesn't get easier. You get better. So we have to expand our mindset and our worldviews. Then there's character traits, right? In regards to, you know, mental toughness, consistency, positivity your communication skills. These are all character traits of who you are that maybe you just haven't become the person who can get to that next level. So the whole point of buying back our time is not to go do a four-hour work week. It's to actually become more. And that's why, like for me, I want creators to create. I want people to build mini empires. And an empire, my language, is somebody that creates a life of unlimited creation they never have to retire from. That's what I want for every person out there that feels like an artist or a creator or a visionary. I want you to do all of that to the highest level with no handbrake on. But the only way you're going to get there is if you understand how to buy back your time. Yeah, man, I love that. I think even just giving yourself permission to just, I mean, one of the biggest epiphanies for me as an entrepreneur was realizing everything that I hate to do someone else loves doing and they would be happy to do it and just be paid to do it for me. I'm just like, once you have that epiphany, it's like, man, you're providing jobs. 
you're transferring money, you're making your life better. And I think it's just, it's a completely freeing breakthrough and realization to when you start doing this and you start really buying back your time. So I love this. I think this is so fascinating, interesting. I don't want to let you go without asking you a little bit about, this is a little bit off topic related to the book, but, or maybe it's not, but I want to talk about retention and, you know, your expertise around SaaS companies and their valuation and going, I have to think that what's really driving a lot of these valuations is reducing churn, reducing the amount of lost customers every month, the people who are canceling. And I know you've seen so many of these. And so I wanted to just ask you a couple, like if we talk about how do we reduce churn in any type of subscription business? So whether it's a SaaS company or obviously you obviously have a coaching business, it's got to be the same. Like you've got to have some thoughts and some strategies for how to reduce churn. Yeah, I really want to encourage people like pause and go get a pen. Okay, because I'm going to share it, but (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of like the thing that I do. I've always done it. So I'm going to talk, talk fast and, I'm, and and feel free to, to double click or pause me on stuff. But to reduce retention, right? The number one thing we have to look at is cancellations. Okay. So in the software world, we call it the cancellation capture system. Any person that's leaving a program, a software, canceling our, our coaching, we need to ask them why. Okay. Because that's where the gold lives. Too often, people just are too quick to dismiss, oh, they left because they didn't want to win or they canceled because you know they weren't willing to do the work. It's like, no, find out. You Find out their language, okay? So, so if you collect that information over a dozen clients, then what's beautiful about that is every product improvement shouldn't be made unless it improves retention, okay? First and foremost. So like, what's cool is you don't have to be that smart about how do I make my product better? You literally just have to say, well, the people that didn't stick around, why did they leave? And use that to ideate around those opportunities. The other thing to understand is there's this thing called the growth ceiling, okay? And the growth ceiling, if you have a subscription business, I can tell you to the day, Rory, this is what's crazy because it's math. I can tell you to the day when you're going to hit your growth ceiling, meaning that your ability to grow is going to be capped because as a percent of customers that leave every month, your ability to add new customers to just replenish that pool decays. Like you're just not able to spend fine channels to replenish. So there's this point and I can tell you the day and I can tell you the dollar amount your business will essentially hit the ceiling at at that point. And so essentially based on your current numbers, I know what size of business you're running, right? It doesn't mean you can't make it better. It's just, this is it, right? If I know how many new customers you add, I know how many customers you lose every month, how many you have right now, what you charge per month on average, that gives me that data, right? And it's a spreadsheet that we've created. So then what you do, once you understand why people are leaving, you need to understand what's a normal churn number. Okay, because trying to get 100% retention is impossible and it's actually unrealistic and there's a point of diminishing returns. But in your industry, trying to understand based on the way your model works, what is normal? So if you sell to small to medium businesses, it's different than mid-market or medium-sized businesses or larger businesses. They're all different. Larger businesses churn less, medium churns a little bit more than large, and then small churns a lot higher. So once you understand what the norm is for your world, then you just try to fix it to get to normal. 
Okay. So that's like step two. It's like wire canceling. Let's fix that to try to get to like kind of best practices baseline. Then there's this thing. I don't want to lose everybody, but it's a term called expansion revenue. Okay. Expansion revenue is the dollar amount that a group of people will end up spending with you either through their expansion into a high level program that counteracts what's called contraction revenue, which is cancellation and downgrades in your world. So if you think about it, you might have hundred people in January. Out of those hundred people, how many people left? How many people downsized? How many people expanded? So if you think of that group of people in January by December, you know, you want to get to a place where you're at least, I mean, I want to, I know our numbers, which are the best in the industry, just because this is my world. But I mean, for most coaching organizations, they want to be at about 70 to 80% revenue retention, right? Meaning that out of those hundred customers in January, by the end, if they spent a hundred thousand a month, you're at 80,000 a month for that group of people, right? So that's where you got to start thinking about 12 what's months called, later, you know, you're talking about 12 months yeah, later, 12 months later. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, within an annual period, because that's going to give you some insights into what we call the strategic P3s, the product positioning and packaging, right? So like, what are you selling? How are you delivering it? How are you positioning it? Who's the customer? Because some people have high churn, they're selling stuff to the wrong people. And then what's your packaging in regards to like how your packages work, right? So pricing strategies and kind of like the plans you might put together. And like, that's the next area to focus on. So to give you a sense of like, what's the gold standard in software, it's 130%. Okay. So companies like Slack, Salesforce, HubSpot, et cetera, they're in the 120 to 125% revenue retention, meaning that, and that's why software is so valuable in the market is because if you fix these problems and you really dial this stuff in, it does become an annuity right? No different than an insurance plan or whatever. It's like, it will continue to pay dividends based on a customer. You might have to pay a little bit of money to acquire them today, but your product expands with them and they spend more every year, which is a really cool thing to watch happen, but that's the model. And so you're saying, so 130% would mean, because you're saying 100% isn't realistic, but that's because if you lose 20% of in the people- In coaching, yeah. It's very rare in coaching you're going to get that. I would say if you're at at least 80% revenue retention, you're in the top 1%, 5%. But you could through expansion revenue. So even though 20% of your customers leave, the other 80% that stay, if some percentage of those are upgrading to something else, the net revenue yeah. number of those of that like kind of- It uh, could. Trough. I haven't seen, yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Usually what you'll see is what's called logo churn versus revenue churn. The logo churn for most coaching organizations, I would say the average is about 40% per year, if not 50% per year, right? That's the average. Like most people are not good at retaining customers. If you can retain 70%, so you're churning 30%, then revenue expansion will make up the rest of it. So that's where I get that 85, 80, 85 revenue retention. Does that make sense? So I'm taking into consideration accounts leaving and expansion into higher level upward motion. But like when I look at most programs, the way they're structured, you know, a third of the people in this program are going to upsell into this next level, but that thing's usually twice as more expensive. But again, there's still cancellation contraction in that program. So it's actually an interesting thing like to figure out for your business is like as a coaching organization that focuses on subscriptions, what is your growth ceiling? If you understand the calculation, like 
Where do we essentially, what's the highest potential output of this engine that we've built? And do we want to invest another four? Like, I mean, I see people all the time. They call me, they're like, Dan, we're thinking of spending like hundreds of thousands of dollars building this thing. It's like, for what? And they're like, to improve this. And I go, what does that mean long-term? Is that realistic? Like, what's your ROI on that? And they're like, well, I don't really know. That's the whole point. If you have decent numbers, then the plan is to operationalize that and don't break anything, right? And maybe add more people. But if your numbers aren't good, then fix that, then scale back up. But at a certain point, most organizations, especially coaching organizations, there's going to be this natural place where they end up, right? Some people that's 60 million a year, some people that's 6 million a year, right? That's just the way it is. Man, I love that. I knew you would have awesome thoughts there. We could do a whole another episode sometime maybe on just coaching retention. But this has been awesome, y'all. The book is called Buy Back Your Time, Wall Street Journal bestselling book. Dan, where do you want people to go to connect with you and learn more about what you're up to? Yeah, Instagram's my favorite. Dan Martell, two L's of Martell. Find me on Instagram. That's my favorite place. I'm on other socials. And then, you know, if you do get the book and it serves, please leave me a review. The team and I are creating a movement around buying back your time. It's like my, as you know, it's the topic I'm most passionate about. I don't think there'll ever be a day where I'm not excited about trying to teach people how to get their time back to go create more in the world. Cause I think that's what we're here to do. We're here to become better versions of ourselves and then share ourselves with the world through our business, through our community, through our church. And I really want to see people kind of elevate that for themselves using this process. I love it. I love it. Well, I can't recommend you enough, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. And we wish you the best of luck and I'll be following you and cheering you on. Appreciate it, Rory. All the best. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free 30-day access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we'll get you set up with free access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, just please share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. 